From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. Since the COVID-19 crisis started, there has been a lot of focus on its impact on the post-acute space. Frankly, one of the most heartbreaking parts of the pandemic has been its impact on seniors and nursing facilities. It is high time that we talk about the impact here on Radio Advisory. To have that conversation, I've brought my colleague and leader of post-acute research at Advisory Board, Jared Landis. Hey, Jared. Hi, Ray. Happy Friday, though I suppose in the podcast world that doesn't necessarily make much sense. All days are running together in this pandemic quarantine world, and I see that you actually made it into the office for this recording. How does it feel? I did. Uh, It's a little bit odd to be in here for the first time in three months, but I wanted to ensure your listeners didn't have the screams of a three-year-old or a one-year-old in the background. So I made the trek out and I have to say on the positive side, the commute was much smoother than it is under normal circumstances. So uh, if you're searching for silver linings, um, that might be one. That is so good to hear. Well, I want to jump in, and because you are the leader of post-acute research at Advisory Board, I just want to take a minute and clarify some terms. What is it that we actually mean when we talk about the post-acute space? Yeah, so for those listeners that maybe are less familiar with post-acute care, I want to clarify that post-acute care is actually several different settings of care, and if we're strictly using Medicare designations, we're talking about long-term acute care hospitals inpatient rehab facilities, skilled nursing, home health, and hospice, and each of those doing different types of post-discharge and rehabilitative care. And each of those settings have also been impacted differently because of the COVID pandemic. But for the sake of simplicity and because of the scope and the attention paid to nursing facility outbreaks, we'll likely focus a lot of our conversation on nursing homes and long-term care, even though that's really just one slice of post-acute care. So I do want to make sure listeners recognize upfront that other post-acute settings exist and are dealing with their other challenges, even though we may not get into all of them in depth here today. And the focus on nursing homes and long-term care makes sense because the first major outbreak of the coronavirus happened in a nursing home, right? The first death happened in a nursing home. But honest moment, that was some time ago, back in March. So get us up to speed. What has been the state of COVID-19 in the post-acute space since the start of the outbreak? Sure. So nursing facilities in the United States are in many ways in the same place as nursing homes and long-term care facilities across the world. Their residents have been disproportionately impacted by COVID. The numbers here in the U.S., aren't terribly precise given a lot of issues related to reporting, but they are generally in line with what you've seen all over the world. And that's 40 to 50% of deaths and fatalities have come from residents of long-term care settings. Wow. And so that statistic itself is fairly well known. Major media outlets are reporting on it, et cetera. But I'd actually argue that post-acute providers, nursing facility providers have largely been overlooked by the industry despite that. Hmm. What do you mean that they've been overlooked? Well, you could look at that in a couple of different ways. So first, from an attention standpoint, wouldn't you think 
there would be more industry coverage and discussion on how to deal with this particular element of the crisis. And not to put you or the advisory board on the spot, but we should admit that we're part of that. You're 20 plus podcasts in before we're getting to post-acute and long-term care. And I'd say that's reflective of the overall industry. We want to talk about the financial impact on health plans. We want to talk about hospitals are reopening, but um, we don't spend enough time talking about the place where 40 to 50% of fatalities are occurring. And then I would say from a different lens and you know, more bluntly put, if you knew where 40 to 50% of COVID deaths were originating, wouldn't you expect a large scale industry-wide response to stop that from happening? Mm -hmm. But there hasn't been. Nursing facilities are essentially sitting with the same resources, staffing and care delivery model that they had when this whole thing started. And honestly, it's a shame and it's a disservice to our senior population. Well, let's make sure that we give the appropriate voice and platform to the nursing facilities and the long-term care facilities right now. 40 to 50 percent of deaths is pretty terrifying. Why has COVID been such a challenge for these facilities in particular? When I talk to a lot of post-acute leaders, what they're saying, what you'll hear is they bring it back to the nursing facility funding model. And if you're not familiar with that, essentially Medicare pays at a much higher rate and cross-subsidizes the long-term care Medicaid population. And that is part of the challenge because you can only provide staffing and resources based on the funding that you have. But I'd argue that it's not a funding challenge alone. The Medicare Medicaid funding dynamic is a proxy for the type of patients that nursing facilities typically care for. Medicare patients are short-term rehab patients. Medicaid patients are long-term care custodial patients. Neither of those populations include actively ill patients with a high acuity respiratory disease. So it's a challenge for nursing facilities to care for these patients because we don't traditionally expect them to care for this type of patient. And as such, they aren't designed or staffed to do so. Hmm. But at the same time, there's not been a big move to get those folks out of nursing or long-term care facilities into facilities that can handle acute respiratory conditions. So what can nursing and long-term care facilities do to treat the near-term concerns as they're continuing to manage the coronavirus response? At this point, I'd say near-term nursing facilities know the playbook. They need to have enhanced their infection control protocols, reinforced staff training on PPE, usage sourced PPE, updated their admissions process, created a COVID isolation unit, et cetera. So what I would argue needs to happen is that there needs to be more of a market level or community-wide approach and response. Again, skilled nursing facilities are fundamentally in the same place they were when this all started. So there's only so much they can do. Hmm. What do you mean by a more market level, community level response? Absolutely. Let's take Seattle as the example. Uh, That's where we first saw the wave of uh, nursing facility outbreaks, skilled nursing facilities, SNFs, weren't left to fight for public resources on their own out there. Hospitals also advocated for their nursing facility partners with local and state public officials, recognizing that you know what happened in those nursing facilities had a direct impact on the hospital itself. And at the same time, the different, different hospital systems 
in Seattle all committed to supporting a different group of nursing facilities in the market. And so that includes both upfront ongoing support, talking about things like access to hospital infectious disease experts and protocols, as well as in the moment support. So for instance, if new COVID cases are identified in a nursing facility, the hospital will deploy a quote unquote drop team of physicians and MPs to help stop an outbreak before it happens. And that's really a community coming together to support these facilities. And not just a community, but in a world where you're talking about facilities that are part of a health system, it means the system is working together to deploy its resources to the places it needs it the most or where those resources don't already exist. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. Thanks for listening to Radio Advisory. It's a tough time to be a leader in healthcare right now. There was plenty of change and disruption to grapple with even before COVID-19 came along. At the end of every episode, Ray says, we're here to help. And we are. Let us know how we can help you by taking our two-minute survey at advisory.com slash podsurvey. Tell us what you want to hear about, what you're struggling with, or what you think about the podcast. Talk to us at advisory.com slash podsurvey. I want to talk a little bit more about the relationship with hospitals. I know that traditionally hospitals discharge quite a bit of their patients to a sniff, but I'm guessing that hospital and physician leaders are pretty wary of doing that right now. What would you tell them? So it's about one in five Medicare discharges go to a skilled nursing facility and SNFs tend to serve as somewhat of a catch-all for patients who need facility-based care. So what I would tell hospitals is a couple of things. One, to be honest with them, on a normal day, hospitals are far from perfect in terms of getting patients to the ideal care setting or to a high-quality post-acute provider. So it's never a bad idea for them to take a critical look at their discharge practices and to improve those. I tell them, too, they need to recognize that nursing facilities are restricting admissions for a legitimate reason. Right. This is bad financially for skilled nursing facilities to not accept referrals. So they're doing this because it's a must do from a patient care and safety perspective, not because it's their choice. If that was 20 percent of discharges, where are those patients going if they're not going to their regular sniff? In the last three months, hospitals have largely responded in two ways. They've discharged patients to repurposed post-acute settings, uh, most specifically inpatient rehab facilities or ERFs, whose volumes have been down as a result of canceled elective surgeries. A large portion of hospitals either own or easily have access to an ERF that has empty bed and empty capacity. And so hospitals are taking advantage of waivers to discharge patients that wouldn't normally qualify for ERF care. And then the second is they are expanding care at home and capacity to care for patients at home in a variety of different ways that might be as simple as increasing the number of discharges to Medicare home health, but it might also mean something like an ED diversion program to home for low acuity patients or something more intensive like a hospital at home model. Hmm. 
beyond dealing with the outbreak itself, it sounds like what the pandemic has done is just revealed and made bigger some of the existing gaps and challenges faced in the post-acute space. Are there any bigger challenges that you're tracking, either with the independent post-acute providers or even the hospital-based ones that we've been talking about? It's going to be an interesting time across you know, the next six months uh, because really what you are seeing right now is the puzzle falling apart and we're going to have an opportunity to put it back together, both as a healthcare delivery system, but also as a country, as a policy and legislative community, and we'll be able to make decisions around that. I think the two discussions at that highest level that we're tracking is one, just what are we doing in terms of supporting our senior population, particularly when it comes to long-term care? Lots of calls within the policy community to do more to support those folks that are in those custodial situations and are getting by barely on that Medicaid funding. So that's piece one. And then piece two is this shift to home. It's no surprise and it's well known that consumers, patients, individuals would rather be at home. It's cheaper typically for them to be at home. And so this will be a catalyst towards that. But there are practical limitations to how much care can happen in the home setting. So how far does the pendulum swing in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious, are you tracking some innovations that are maybe happening in the post-acute space to allow patients to be able to be seen, treated, monitored from home? You kind of see a spectrum of different things that are being done and being piloted across the system. And so that is, you know, moving more ongoing post-discharge or chronic disease management to the home setting. So that's deploying NPs and things like that for follow-up care. It's substitutions for inpatient facility-based care. So again, a hospital at home, or you're hearing more about the SNF at home model, though I'd argue that's you know really early on and very few organizations even understand what that is or can justify what they mean when they use the term. That's interesting. What do you mean that they don't quite understand what SNF at home or hospital home means or aren't prepared for it? Well, so I think hospital home is a very well-defined model. Hospital home has been around for you know some time. There's a defined patient set. There are a number of you know progressive providers out there running that. They can identify the patients. They can transition them. They know what the care at home model looks like. Sniff at home is just a little bit murkier because the things that you're doing in a sniff from a rehabilitation standpoint, they're the same things that Medicare home health would be doing in the home setting as far as therapy goes, right, and patient recovery. And so I think a lot of people like to toss the term sniff at home around for just some type of added level of support on top of, you know, traditional home health. Maybe that's a physician or an MP present. Maybe that's something virtual, but there isn't a well-defined model on that front in the way that hospital at home is. Hmm, Got it. So I think that this is an issue that's top of mind for a lot of folks professionally, but when I think about healthcare leaders, it's probably also top of mind for them personally, right? Because a lot of them have aging parents themselves and are questioning what they should do as their family members are navigating different elements of the post-acute system. What advice do you have for them? Taking my quote-unquote healthcare expert hat off and answering as a son and a citizen of our communities, 
I think a lot of this gets back to the macro level question, what do we do and how do we care for our seniors? Because there is a huge gap in terms of what long-term care options there are for you based on your level of income and your financial means. And so what I would say to those industry leaders that are thinking about this from a personal perspective is to start planning for how you're going to fund you or your parents' long-term care needs, depending on where you are in the aging curve. And (laughs) I'm not an expert in long-term care insurance, so don't force me too far down this path. But the numbers vary depending on your source, but most say at least half of individuals are going to need some type of long-term care support during their lifetime. Yet, minority of people have long-term care insurance. It's probably like one in four. And there's just a lot of general confusion around who pays for long-term care. Many people are under the assumption that Medicare pays for long-term care, but it doesn't. Hmm. This actually brings me pretty neatly into my final question. And it's one that I ask everyone who comes on Radio Advisory. What advice would you give to healthcare leaders right now when it comes to how they're managing the spread of the coronavirus in the post-acute space? I think this goes back to my comment around that market level or community-wide response and approach. And so my advice for them would be to take a critical look at their organization and the provider assets that they have and think about what are they doing to bolster and to support these nursing facilities and the residents that are part of their market, part of their community? What are they doing to support that population? You're only going to really be able to turn the dial on this issue if we all move in that direction together because the skilled nursing facilities are fundamentally in the same place they were when all this started. Well, Jared, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Enjoy your day in the office with no one around you, including no screaming kids. And we will talk to you soon. Excellent. Ray. Thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to doing it in the future. As the industry enters what might look like a recovery period, it's important not to let ourselves go back to, quote unquote, normal. Jared said it perfectly. 40 to 50% of coronavirus deaths have come from nursing homes and long-term care facilities. So as organizations are looking to partner with post-acute providers, they have to make sure that that relationship doesn't fall to the bottom of your to-do list. We've got some resources added in the show notes to help you do that. Because as always, we're here to help. You know, you might have to give me 47, 48 or something. Yeah, yeah. Because my totally. clock's a little off. <laughs> it's not like you're going to get slimed or something as oh soon as God. 30 seconds passes. <laughs>